This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, December 22nd, 2023. Uh, And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. We've got Sarah Abbott. Last night, we had absolutely huge news. We talked about the conditions for an emergency podcast, and this is certainly one of them. Yoshinobu Yamamoto agrees to a 12-year, $325 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the biggest amount of money ever committed for any pitcher ever, $1 million more than Garrett Cole. On top of that, the Dodgers have to pay the posting fee uh, of about $50 million. So huge investment for the Dodgers. You knew that the Dodgers in their camp last night, they were high-fiving, they're probably popping champagne bottles for the Giants, for the Red Sox, for the Mets, for the Yankees, a disappointing today. And in a wonderful coincidence, for the first time, uh, we have Sean Bartley uh, joining us as a producer on the podcast. He grew up in New York, considers himself to be a Yankee fan, and so we want to hear from a Yankee fan on this day, Sean. When you saw this news, how are you feeling? You know, just a big sigh, man. Big sigh. There's a lot of, a lot of moving pieces. And, uh, you know, hopefully this year the Yankees will just be able to get over all these obstacles that they've been facing in the in the regular season, in the postseason and can bring another championship back to New York. I know there's a lot of a lot of naysayers out there, but, you know, I believe in the Yankees. So we'll see what happens. OK, you're going glass half full. Did you feel like you had a chance to sign Yamamoto? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, really? No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. so you weren't counting on it. You were no, bracing not at yourself. All. I wasn't. But, you know, he's over in uh, sunny California, and um, I guess he'll enjoy the sun then. Yeah, and playing alongside Shohei Otani and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and that whole group. Sarah, when you saw the news last night, what did you think? Um, so my dad was elated. My dad is a huge Dodgers fan, so he was over the moon. Feels like the Dodgers just formed the Avengers of baseball. <laughs> and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this pans out. You know, that's a great way to put that. Uh, they could either be the Avengers or I think from if you're the perspective of a small market team, they're villains, right? Uh, I mean, the way that they're going to be viewed by other clubs. I'm going to be talking with Paul Mbikides about what this means for the sport, what this means for the Dodgers, what this means for all the teams that lost out in the bidding. Tara, what else you got? All right. So right before we were recording this, we were recording the College Game Day podcast, going over all of the bowl games and everything you need to know. So be sure to check that out wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. 
Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul Ambicades is our $701 million man. He, of course, is the right-hand man for Mike Greenberg. He's a great researcher uh, and content editor for ESPN. Hembo, tell me about, uh, first off, I know that you have to get up early. How did you get the news about the Yamamoto signing? So uh, because I wake up at like 3 o'clock in the morning to do my TV job, this is obviously news that I missed when it broke live. And so I discovered that this occurred with like a torrent of uh, text messages and like Twitter notifications as soon as I woke up. When I turn my phone off of airplane mode onto I'm ready to live now mode, that's what I saw. Um, I wasn't surprised that it was the Dodgers. I wasn't really surprised at the dollar figure or the number of years or anything. I was just a little surprised that it happened when it did. I was expecting it to happen closer to Christmas, maybe even in between Christmas and the new year, because we had heard uh, before the the uh, Thursday night football game that Otani was going to the game and that Yamamoto would not be there. So I was thinking, all right, nothing is is, is going to happen right away. But look, I mean, it's Dodgers fans around the country or around the world now are rejoicing. And I think there's been a mixed reaction to say the least around the, around the baseball world otherwise. Oh, I, t- I think to say the least uh, for sure. I mean, let's start with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, you sent me an email early this morning, basically de- declaring the Dodgers as the champions of 2025. <laughs> You're not ready to say that about 2024. Give me your reaction to this move for the Dodgers. Yeah, so for the, from the Dodgers, from the perspective of the Dodgers, they're going to be the favorite to win the World Series every year now moving forward, at least at the be- beginning of every season. And that's because the top-end talent on this roster, coupled with the player development behemoth that Andrew Friedman has created, just makes them a ridiculous juggernaut in the regular season. We know that you can't really buy a dynasty in baseball because of the variance that occurs in the postseason. And that's why, from that standpoint, I'm not nearly as worried. So I think like the national narrative that the Dodgers are buying themselves championships is a bit overstated because teams candidly haven't been able to do that, at least not in the last couple decades. But I think what the Dodgers are, are going to become is the greatest regular season team of all time. And that could happen as soon as 2025. Because two years from now, when Otani is in that rotation with Yamamoto, with a fully healthy Walker Bueller, with a presumably fully healthy Tyler Glasnow, and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Otani in the lineup. Still Bobby in Miller. Primes. Bobby Miller, by the way, a stud rookie last year who throws 100, throws a billion. Like, this is going to be one of the best teams ever. In, tw- in 2001, the Mariners won 116 games. In 1906, the Cubs won 116 games. And I think that Dodgers team has the chance to be one of the greatest teams we have ever seen. So what the Dodgers are going to be doing, really, is historic stuff. They've been phenomenal. No team in the National League West is going to sniff the Dodgers for years to come. But as we well know, and has been established over the last decade, the best team in baseball rarely wins the championship. The Dodgers have often been the best team. They've won one measly championship. And we know that one is sometimes uh, discounted by public by the public because of where it happened and how it happened during the pandemic in 2020. But look, the Dodgers are going to be the best team in baseball's regular season for the foreseeable future. I think they'll be so by an order of magnitude. Yeah, and I think that they really did such a great job of setting themselves up to make this big money strike. And and let's be on, let's be clear here, and we'll get into the whole ramifications for the sport uh, down the road. But this is not a move that a lot of teams can make. But Andrew Friedman, up until this point, had never paid sticker price on anything. Nobody 
right? When he signed Mookie Betts, first off, when he traded for Mookie Betts, it was at a depreciated level because Mookie was a year from free agency. He winds up giving Alex Verdugo as a centerpiece and deal with the Red Sox. When he signs Freddie Freeman, it's after the Braves have gone and traded for Matt Olson. So Matt, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman both get heavily depreciated contracts, you know, which you know gives the Dodgers more flexibility. Last winter, when they signed some free agents, it was on a lot of one-year contracts. Like they created some flexibility and then they go after Otani. And as we've talked about, you know, he winds up getting this incredibly deferred contract so they could make a strike. This is a very different situation for Yamamoto. They're paying sticker price. You know, it's a 12 year deal, $325 million, the most ever paid for a pitcher. On top of that, they have to pay the posting fee. Uh, so it's going to be the total bill is going to be around $385 million zero dollars depreciated 50 million dollars signing bonus Dodgers can do that because the way some of the other deals are structured yeah I, I think you hit the nail on the head here the Dodgers uh, have had this offseason in the offing for many years now it was the worst kept secret in baseball that they were likely to pounce on Otani this offseason they obviously did that and as it turns out they had a lot more up their sleeve um what the A's did, obviously, 20 years ago, we called Moneyball, and we called it Moneyball because they exploited a market inefficiency. This, to me, Buster, is actual Moneyball because the Dodgers are exploiting their market efficiency, which is we can outspend people. You're not giving up assets to get these stars. You're just spending money, which you have, by the way. So that's that's you know half of it from a baseball perspective. But these are ownership-driven decisions, in my opinion, at least, not like from afar as much as they are baseball operations decisions, because when you stack Otani and Yamamoto on top of each other, you have become the face of baseball globally. Like you truly have. I watched the World Baseball Classic uh, last spring, just like you did. And my takeaway from that experience was that baseball is the international pastime now. Like baseball is obviously a second fiddle to the NFL and, and college football, and in some cases, the NBA in this country. But the Dodgers are thinking big here. They're thinking like baseball empire. They're not thinking World Series. Let's th like We're trying to become the Yankees of the world. And Otani and Yamamoto obviously go a long way in audience capture in that respect. So I do wonder, obviously, like half of this is these are brilliant baseball players that are going to give us a chance to win a World Series every single year because they're freaking great. On the other side of things, this is an ownership decision in which we're going to print money across the globe because we have icons. And I do think because the because um, the bids were fairly close, at least that is the reporting, that Otani signing first had to have at least been a tiebreaker for Yamamoto, but that's just my speculation. Do you think there's any truth to that? I think there could be. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll never know. Uh, you know, the one thing I was going to say is that when you talk to people who were involved in these meetings with him, everybody came away with the same feeling, like this guy wants to be great. He wants to be part of something great. You know, I said on SportsCenter today that, you know, the Dodgers made the playoffs 11 straight years. They've got a future Hall of Famer leading off. They've got a future Hall of Famer batting second. They've got a future Hall of Famer batting third. Uh, I agree with you. They could be a completely dominant regular season team. Uh, and if you're Yamamoto and you're looking around, I'm sorry, but right now, you know, the Giants are way down. He would, like, have to put that whole franchise on his shoulder. Not only be the, you know, a pitcher who helps lead with Logan Webb, but also become the face of the franchise. If he goes to the Mets, I don't know. You know, the Mets are kind of in a weird place right now. They could be okay, but I don't think we'd look at them as necessarily being a juggernaut. The Yankees are all in on trying to win next year. But Juan Soto's under contract for one year. Aaron Judge, 
you know, he's in his early 30s. Within a couple of years, we'll begin to talk about his slide, the way that we're talking about Giancarlo Stanton. That's inevitable. And so maybe he, you know, he looked at all these teams. He's like, look, if I want to be at the top of dog piles in October, the Dodgers are the best place to go. I don't blame him for that decision. The money, uh, especially with the money being equal. Uh, nor do I. Um, with with money being equal, I also think the Dodgers just have like an enormous geographic advantage here too. Like that's that's right. part of it. Like we've seen, like like I mean, there's a reason Ichiro chose Seattle. There's a reason why Otani chose Los Angeles like twice. Like they, I didn't consider that as much as I should have in handicapping the Otani and Yamamoto sweepstakes. There's also future stars coming over from 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 that neck of the woods. I mean, the Dodge, the the Padres just signed a close an Asian closer, and they're on the West Coast too. So it's it's an interesting thing that we're setting up here now. Like baseball's like the the capital of baseball now is on the West Coast. Um, that has not been the case for about as long as baseball has been baseball. And so like I think Major League Baseball needs to wrap its arms around that reality. Like we need to expose two thirds of the country that live east of the Mississippi River to the fact that we have this like growing behemoth, like the faces of baseball are playing in Los Angeles now. Like, I think that, in some sense, obscured Mike Trout's career, not just because the Angels were bad. So, in all the offshoots of, of, of this stuff, uh, Yamamoto made a shrewd decision, given all the set of circumstances, that this is going to be a stable place to win every year and have a lot of exposure um, to both the American market and, then of course, um, his, his where, he, where he's from. But at the same time, Major League Baseball needs to capitalize on the fact that all these guys are on the same team and this is not talent you know, strewn out across the league. And I'd say this uh, about the, you know, the, his decision to go there and Otani's decision to go to the Dodgers. This is great for the for Major League Baseball, like the product for Major for Central Baseball in terms of marketing its product to have the Dodgers be great is something that's really important for the sport. Uh, you know, I related on the podcast before my conversation with Billy Bean when he talked about. You know how a lot of the athletic fans, this is back in the mid 2000s, would complain about the Yankees. And he said, no, like the Yankees are great for baseball. Like they they are a brand name for our sport. The Dodgers are now that. And that's great for baseball that they have it. And at the same time, as I say that, and I got a text message last night from my son, the Braves fan, uh, who is when when the Dodgers signed Otani for the money that they signed him for, he was like, Really? This isn't fair. Well, last night he went one step further. He's like, this is a joke. You know, how, how can other teams compete? Uh, he talked about, you know, how, you know, the baseball needs a salary cap. And I was like, you're right. It's not fair. <laughs> That's the way it is. That's the way baseball's economic system was set up 120 years ago. Um, that is also an interesting offshoot of this discussion is during the next round of CBA negotiations. How is Major League Baseball going to wrap its arms around a ridiculous economic disparity? Because, like, obviously, Bud Selig created revenue sharing the way that he did. And I think he could still argue, and Major League Baseball would still argue, based upon the results of some small market teams, whether it be anecdotally or otherwise, that it works, at least in some sense. Or that there is not a direct, strong correlation between payroll and success. But we've never had a gap quite this large. And we've never, and there is no sport in the country for which there is a larger gap between teams willing to spend or able to spend and not able to spend. And that is that is sort of a growing chasm. I think what the Dodgers are, are saying here is like maybe some of these superstars historically have been underpaid. I mean, we've seen enormous contracts given out in Major League Baseball's free agent period, really ever since um, the the pandemic. And I don't think that's coincidental. We just saw the Rangers win a World Series directly because they spent five hundred million dollars on a shortstop and a second baseman. 
If we're living in a world in which only a third of baseball teams or 20% of baseball teams have access to a certain applicant pool, I'm not sure that's great for baseball. So perhaps we can incentivize, like the way that the NBA does, giving teams advantages to keep people. We could also incentivize teams for spending money. But I think disincentivizing spending, which is to say creating a salary cap of some kind, would not be good for baseball. I'm never a big fan of suppressing innovation if we don't really have to. Is there a way to reward smaller market teams for spending more? Perhaps. I don't love the idea of of making it challenging for teams like the Dodgers to spend all this money because I don't think baseball is going to see very many negatives from this at all. This, in my opinion, is the same as it sounds like yours is. Having like a behemoth, like a potential villain on the West Coast that teams and fan bases and players can hate and rally around and say like, look, that's the big evil empire. Has, when, since when has that been bad? I mean, people have written millions of books <laughs> on lesser things, right? So that, in my opinion, Buster, is where we stand with the Dodgers. But baseball does need to wrap its arms around the economic disparity and figure out the best way to streamline this product if it continues to grow. Yeah, and I'm going to encourage my son to go back and find the articles from 1900 and 1920 and 1940 and 1960 where they're saying baseball's in trouble. Like baseball, right. really? Mm-hmm. Just follow the numbers. Is baseball so in trouble that you know players can get <laughs> for these contracts? I don't think so. They wouldn't spend it unless they had the money. Um, I do, you know, I do wonder if they'll wind up uh, trying to thread a needle to try to find a way to placate some of the small market teams, uh, where maybe they expand the playoff field from twelve to fourteen teams, where you might have teams in Ashley West saying. What are you kidding? Like, there's no chance for us to win the division. So maybe you do it that way. You're right. Maybe do a little, uh, you know, some more revenue sharing that's built into the next deal. But the mm-hmm. idea that baseball is ever going to go so far as to have a salary cap, I think there's no chance. And especially because, as we saw in the last labor negotiation, these two sides aren't collaborating. There's no there's no great collective thought between the, you know, Major League Baseball and the Player Association. Today, I was on radio in New York and they were asking me about, boy, wouldn't it be better if baseball had, you know, that uh, the same thing we have in the NBA where they have the starting gun on July 1 and we talk about free agency and it really adds to the buzz as opposed to this slow drip. And I was like, yeah, but that would require the two sides to, to work together. And they don't. <laughs> like they don't it, it it does feel like that you know occasionally they'll come together and they'll make deals when they have to but you don't get the feeling there's any necessarily strong leadership together to try to take these guys forward there's a zero percent chance so long as tony clark is running the union that the, the players would ever agree to anything approximating a salary cap i mean right. i'm old enough to remember three years ago when that was a big part of discussions, when, you know, Major League Baseball owners essentially posited like a, a sort of a payroll structure that the players sort of perceived to be a salary floor, or salary ceiling in ways that they didn't like. And they eschewed it like they eschew literally everything. Um, so that's definitely an angle that I think is going to be discussed a lot. But generally speaking, I think the doomsday, like the baseball doomsday people are just reciting the same lines they always have. It's very difficult right. for me to see this much money being influxed into the sport and say, oh, this is a bad day for baseball. Those people just don't love baseball the way that you and I do. All right. You're the Yankees. Uh, you're Brian Cashman. You're Hal Steinbrenner. Uh, you are David Stearns. You're Steve Cohen. You're the Giants. You're waking up today and you missed out on this big target. I don't think it's as bad a situation as people understand. Like, look, there's nobody who's close to what Yamamoto would have brought to the table. But when you look at the landscape, and I talked about this on SportsCenter this morning, you know, free agents who are still out there, 
uh, you know, you have Jordan Montgomery, you have Blake Snell, you have Lucas Giolito, you have Marcus Stroman. You can go trade for Corbin Burns. You can go trade for Dylan Cease. Uh, you can go trade for Shane Bieber. There are a couple of other pitchers from Japan uh, that you could take a look at. The left-hander, Ima, Ima, uh, I'm going to mispronounce the name, uh, Shota Ima Magna, who pitched so well in that WBC final, left-hander, 30 years old. Uh, so you, you're definitely going to have opportunities to go get other people rather than Yamamoto. Yeah, the, the top of the market this year, um, from a pitching standpoint, is especially loaded. Uh, so I don't think fans of those teams that you just mentioned should feel doomsday-ish uh, today. But I think some definitely are, especially Yankees fans here in the city. Like, they set this up as the like the Yamasoto uh, offseason, and they wound up just getting Soto. The reason I think the Yankees are such a big player here, Buster, is because of what you said earlier. Like, they're in this, like, I think what they're perceiving to be something of a window. Juan Soto's effectively on a one-year deal. Uh, Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole are in their primes, perhaps even at the tail ends of them. And the Yankees are acting that way. So of all the teams that you mentioned, I think the one that needs to operate most earnestly is the Yankees. I Honestly, like, the the, the name that that they should – I mean, Corbin Burns and Dylan Cease are the best pitchers available, and Dylan Cease can offer you the most service time. The Yankees probably aren't going to be willing to part with those prospects. But I view Dylan Cease as a potential, like, you know, like Cy Young-type arm for the, for the Yankees if they streamline his pitch mix, um, as opposed to someone like Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell, who, look, Blake Snell's coming off of a great year, but you're going to pay sticker price for both of those guys. I, I think the Yankees are in a position right now, based upon the current constitution of the roster, the current constitution of the farm system, that they'd be best off trading for one of these starting pitchers. I even think Shane Bieber would be a perfectly fine fit there because they do have the defense to support his declining velocity. So to me, like, the Yankees are the next team in this market where the dominoes might fall to identify a pitcher in the trade market and say, okay, we're willing to include X, Y, or Z prospect that we would not have before when we thought we were in on uh, Yamamoto, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally disagree with you. And I'll tell hmm. you why. Um, on In the trade market, when you look at Shane Bieber, I want to make sure that I get somebody who's going to be healthy. And I don't know that about Bieber after last year. So he wouldn't necessarily be at the top of my list unless the Guardians are giving him away. Um, when it comes to Dylan Cease, I think it's going to be super competitive because of his high ceiling. The fact he's got two years from free agency. I think the Atlanta Braves will be involved. I don't think the Yankees are going to want to give up the prospects that they wouldn't talk about in the Soto deal. That was sort of the genius of the Soto deal. They didn't have to give up really any of their high-end guys. Corbin Burns and a one-year deal, I think you basically would have to buy out the Brewers. You know, you, you would have to be super aggressive. Again, I think they want to keep their prospects um, you know, Snell, we've talked about, you know, and why, you know, wouldn't be a fit. I mean, we know that the, the history between Marcus Stroman and the Yankees is not good. I'm assuming he's not an option. It's very interesting. But when you look at the free agent market, the guy who makes the most sense, without a doubt, is Jordan Montgomery. But I don't know what that conversation is between Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner. If he says, yes, uh, it's going to take and I'm pulling a number out of the air, 160 million to sign Jordan Montgomery. Yes, it's true that. Less than two years ago, we traded this guy for Harrison Bader because we didn't think he'd be on the playoff roster, but now we think he's worth 160, if, in fact, that's what the Yankees believe. That's a long leap of logic. Does that make sense? Yes, I think that it feels like it would be like an admission of failure. And I also don't know that, that Jordan Montgomery is what I would describe as a change-your-destiny player. Like $160 million for that guy. He's a plow horse. He's a terrific plow horse. Sure. Um, you know, and he's a good three. Horse. He's a good number yeah. three pitcher. He, I, I, I think he needs to, you know, have support around him. 
and, and it's he demonstrated in the postseason he's very comfortable pitching in big games. I just don't. The Yankees have spent a lot of money on good, not great players historically. At least lately, that's been a a strategy that has backfired for the Yankees. If if I'm if I'm Brian Cashman, I'd rather keep that money and throw more of it at Juan Soto. Like I want more. I want to be able to make sure that I can get the highest of high end players. Like that's that. I don't want Jordan Montgomery or LeMahieu or Rizzo or Stanton at this juncture. Any of those people be the reason I can't retain a premium talent in Juan Soto. That's why I view a trade for the Yankees as a perhaps more palatable option because I don't have to worry about cooking my books long term and continuing to pile up attacks where I want Soto and that's going to cost me half a billion dollars. Okay. Uh, Give me 30 seconds on this. They threw this question at me in New York today. Which team is hurt more by this, Mets or Yankees? The Giants. The Giants are the team that suffers the most for this uh, by a long shot because, look, I mean, the Yankees we discussed, I think it's a it's more a big loss for their fans than it is for the organization who I don't know how how strongly they felt um, that they would sign him. I think in the Mets case, they would have liked to have, but they don't have to have Yamamoto given like where they currently are, given where they presently are now in this modified. I agree. But the Giants are the team that is in absolute shambles as a result. Like they have abs. No one's willing to even take their money and they're in the same division as the Dodgers. And for them, it's not going to get better anytime soon. Yeah, we haven't talked about the Red Sox either. It's incredible how the Red Sox and Giants seem to be in the same place where they're having a hard time getting people to take their dollars. <laughs> so, all right, Hembo, go home and be a dad. Later, friends. Merry Christmas. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. The first one comes from Zach Beeson. Hey, Buster, the Dodgers are doing a lot just to beat the D-backs. Right, Zach, you get your shot in because you know what's coming during the regular season. I'll, I'll have the floor be yours for that uh, for that comment. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. Next up is Ben Galvin. Do we know if either Otani or Yamamoto negotiated a merchandise deal with the Dodgers? They should have. Well, I mean, we know the Dodgers will make money off their presence, but I think Otani, from everything you hear, he's got a lot of money he's making off the field, and the same with Yamamoto. So I think they'll all be okay. I think they'll, yeah, I think they'll be just fine. Next up is Brian Simpson. This offseason for the Dodgers just makes me such a bitter baseball fan. My Padres have had a nice spending run, but we just can't spend year after year like the Dodgers. How is this current system fair? Yeah, Ryan, I'll say what I said to my son last night. It's not fair. That's, you know, the economic system is something that's always had an unlevel playing field in baseball. It's always been unlevel. And that's not 
going to change anytime soon. Now, what does happen is you see teams like the Diamondbacks jump up in these short series in the postseason and win. Those are the great equalizers, right? You could win 111 games in the regular season. You could win 116 games the regular season. But you have a couple of bad days against the opposing starting pitchers. You could find yourself sitting on the couch no matter how much money you spend during the regular season. Next up comes from Debbie Gammons Brown. Okay, so the Dodgers have clearly won the offseason, but what's the last time a team won the regular season World Series after winning the offseason? A hundred percent. That is a great point. It feels like for the last 15 years or so, the team that dominates the uh, the offseason winds up being a big disappointment. You know, you think of the 2011 Red Sox, you think about the Padres last year, uh, on and on and on. It's incredible how much the teams that, uh, you know, idiots like me anoint during the winter wind up really struggling during the regular season. And last up comes from Brian Stone King, Yamamoto being hailed as a can't miss ace. Haven't seen this before. Dice, Darvish, Nomo, Tanaka, Kuroda. Good, not great. Maybe we should let them prove themselves in the MLB before we jump to bad conclusions and invest way too much money. Yeah, Brian, you're talking about Daisuke Matsuzaka. You're right. That never panned out. You uh, Darvish has had times where he has been one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. Nomo certainly had that. Tanaka, I would disagree with you. I think he was better than just good. I think he was an excellent pitcher. Kuroda had some time where he dominated. You know, Hembo laid out all the reasons why Yamamoto is such an unusual talent. You know, to hit free agency at 25, uh, to have so little wear and tear, fewer than a thousand innings professionally, it sets him up to be really good uh, as he moves forward. He's got plus, plus, plus stuff. You know, yesterday I was talking with Roger Clemens, who was telling me that uh, Yamamoto's splitter reminds him a lot of Clemens's splitter and that it drops straight down. It doesn't have side to side. Uh, he thinks that's a great combination with the fastball and the curveball that he throws. You know, there is an adjustment period. We have seen it because the, the size of the baseball is just a little bit different. So it might be that, you know, he'll have some struggles initially. But in the end, I think the guy's such a phenomenal athlete and he's demonstrated he has this incredible array of pitches. I think he's going to be absolutely fantastic. And that is it for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit your questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets and we will see you guys next week. I think so. We still have to talk about it. We'll see how many moves happen over the weekend. If we do do a podcast, it's going to be Tuesday, the 20th, or excuse me, Wednesday, the 27th. I think we talked about potentially doing one. Um, we'll just have to wait and see how many moves are made. Well, that's it for today. Uh, my thanks to Sarah Abbott, to Sean Bartley, to Paul Hembikides. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a great holiday. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.